Welcome to the podcast. Uh, here we are for another edition of PR for Humans, perched on the terrace of Shoreditch House, looking out over the East London skyline. And this is the podcast in which we talk to interesting people, really. I mean, great communicators, people who are interested in communications, people who approach the craft of communications from lots of different perspectives, whether they are PR people or actors or CEOs or novelists or whoever. Who knows where where this is going to lead? And today it's leading to Molly Flatt, who is a fantastic person with, with a an incredibly interesting and varied career, and, <laughs> which you were trying to explain to me just before we started recording. And uh, I, I think I, I, I endorse those, those adjectives. Um, <laughs> and, and, and the author of a debut novel, which is The Charmed Life of Alex Moore, um, which I finished last night and is, is, a, is, a, is a fantastic and unexpected mm. read. Um, so, Molly, before we get into... Um, the book and other things. Just, just mm. give me an, o- an overview. Who, who is who is Molly Flat? What, what do you do? And um, oh gosh, and just just you know some of it, not all of it, some of it. Yeah, well, I think when I'm asked to provide a bio or things, I've kind of defaulted now to tech and culture journalist and author. Um, you know, way back my. It's interesting you mentioned uh, actors there. Way back my background um, was I did go to drama school. After, right, uh, did you? Yeah. After uni, but um, uh, soon kind of realised that was uh, too weirdly too passive an industry for me because you have to kind of uh, wait for things wait to for things to happen exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then actually behind the storytelling that I wanted to do on stage was really about the stories I used to write when I was a kid and being mm. in control of all the stories. So um, I started at an agency that advertised for a copywriter, but it was actually what we would call nowadays a very early kind of social media marketing agency, called themselves a word of mouth marketing agency, um, and, you know, stayed there for almost 10 years, and that was an amazing situation of right place, right time, I think. I just happened to be that first wave of almost digital natives. Yeah, just like um, coming coming into your career, just as this extraordinary explosion was taking place. Exactly, coming into, and you know, I'd done a lot of temping frankly and I'd done you know I thought I was going to be a lawyer at some point so I'd had quite a lot of experience in corporate cultures and being able to marry the you know being a geek and being a very early blogger and forum user and all of these things with being able to talk to executives or boards or whatever it might be in a relatively coherent manner that they could kind of uh, understand yes led me to kind of essentially I ended up being the agency's um, consulting person so I would go in and help businesses be more social from kind of the inside out yeah and this is when you were you were flying around and going to silicon valley oh, the glamour, and, uh, you and know the me and seth and, godin yeah. on stage in columbia those oh, days yeah. seemed so distant <laughs> um but yeah you know all the time i was writing all the time i was hustling and you know in my innocence as you know a 22 year old blogger emailing the guardian's culture editor and saying oh you need me to write for you about tech and books or you know um and actually back then you know that was really what people were looking for there wasn't a crowded market so um you can do those when you're young you can do those things you just got the kind of just like go email somebody just think why not bash down a door what the hell nothing to lose we get more more scared as we get older in Uh, some way absolutely um, and so kind of slowly developed the writing on the side and then eventually reached a tipping point where, you know, I'd be, also I'd been in the agency for a long time and it was incredible and it was so hard to leave because I'd grown up there, you know, I'd really grown up there. But, um, you know, I felt I'd been doing social and digital long enough. Mm. Um, and so what, just 
briefly, what what are your what are your reflections now on 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 where we've got to with with social media and mm. um, where it's all going? I mean, it, it's in one sense it's wonderful, in another sense it's a complete mess. Uh, I I struggle to make sense of it a lot of the time, and then it, then it it seems to deliver something for me out of nowhere. I, I just yeah. I can't kind of get my get a grip on it. I don't I know whether you you've managed to. I think what to. it comes back to, and this is the the kind of uh, gospel I used to preach at um, at Thousand Heads. It it, can't, it just comes back to people, and I think we get so shocked about is social media totally evil because it's skewing political elections and it's dividing us and it's making us alienated or is it the saviour of the world and is it it is achieving still incredible things and you know I wouldn't be able to have the portfolio working mother life I do without it and all things like that and I think um Angus Harvey of Future Crunch is one of my kind of heroes in this space he's an incredible um uh, political economist I think um and writer um, and Future Crunch is an organisation that looks very much for the positives, the positives in the news, the positives about technology. And he reminds that all social media does is amplify. Human beings have mm. always been like this. Mm. We've always been both evil and amazing. We've always been both <laughs> d- divided and tribal. We've mm. always, you know, there's always been all of these elements in it. And all it means is that we're confronted with the spectrum every day at such a volume all the time. So I think it's a reminder that people are still people. I I think we are very arrogant if we think our kind of tools can change them that much that quickly. It can influence our behaviour on a kind of day-to-day level, but I think profoundly people are still people. Um, And it's to remember to take control of the thing and to use them how we want to use them. I think that's, the, that's been the, the, the slight crisis over the past few years is that we kind of thought the tools were going to do the utopia for us yeah. and forgot that we had to pay very close attention to the design and the ethics and the, st- the kinds of storytelling. Yeah, um, and you imagine there'll be some yeah. wonderful kind of algorithm or computer that will make sense of it all, that will or boost your following, or, yes. you know, do, do as you say, do the legwork for you. Yes. Someone Hire someone to do social over there yeah. or do digital over there, and we yeah. can just sort of carry on with business over here. But it didn't, didn't work out. No, I think social media is actually a very personal thing, and that's always been the stug- struggle for businesses, that the digital and social, they want to, yes, treat it as kind of a department or something they can outsource, but actually all it does is expose and amplify kind of really who you are mm. as a business and what you're doing and that was the challenge of my job that I used to go in and people were like okay well you know this 12 year old is going to teach us how to do Twitter whereas actually I was interrogating really big picture stuff about their business about well do you walk your talk do you hire the kind of people who you actually say your brand is because that's the kind of stuff that social media exposes you know? yeah yeah well it's um it's a fascinating world, and and, and, and now I guess as a, as, a, as an author, you 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 have to use social media and you have to use these mm. tools, but in a way that reflects I hope, who you who you really are. Oh, uh, it, yeah, it's but very it, weird. Is still attention there, or? yeah, it's weird, Mike, because I think you know I would have been a classic candidate for self-publishing as well, because just because I was an early social media user and used to work in this industry, you know, I built. God forgive me, you know, a bit of a platform, a mm. network. But you know, I have a few followers. God Still knows what on that my means. Platform. Yeah, exactly. Everyone all... needs a platform. Oh my God! They? I mean, that's part of the book is a massive satire <laughs> yeah, yeah, on yeah, this we'll, world we'll and this about. kind of thing. But um, but I think you know, using it for yourself is very different. I used to do it professionally. My personal social media, I used to always just keep use as a way to inspire myself to you know actually to slightly idolize other people who are talking about interesting things i just use it as a news feed mm. to surface interesting articles and things and actually i never talked about my own 
writing projects really up until this point also just because I didn't want to be that guy I mm. did not want to be that guy who comes into the party and is like <laughs> yeah. so I'm writing book yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. you know ex-marketed journalist right yeah, yeah. you know um, but now of course I have but I feel like uh, you know I've, I've you've I've, earned it I've earned I do <laughs> yeah, I do yeah. slightly because I've relentlessly supported and championed and, and, and reached out to and built genuine relationships in the way that of course I'm going to shamelessly abuse my friends and family when it comes mm. to my book you know and actually you know my network on social have been amazing and I think also because we're like minds I do feel like there's value you know mm. like in the book for example it is something that they would enjoy but for example now I've kind of backed off again a bit so the, the book's been out for a month and then I just went nuts it was all about the book I was that guy every Instagram photo was some yeah. review or whatever but now also I've just got a bit bored of mm. doing that it was exciting it was buoyed up on a genuine sense of, um, mm. of of joy and things but now I'm just like oh gosh but no one really wants to hear about it for a while so you know wait and, until the paperback <laughs> yeah. and, and this book which which I, I, I do highly highly recommend it's, it's a wonderful read um, and a surprising read in, in many mm. ways, and, and and it is a long long time coming, right? I mean, it took uh, took several years to at, to birth this thing. At least um, seven years. Of and and, and so and and I read a great blog by you about the struggles of of writing a novel. Mm. Um, just summarise that for us. You know, is what that the, the, pro- the perfectionist? I think one, so. Yeah, where you, and, and where you, you talk, and then you talk about um, having a baby and letting yeah. it, letting it all go, letting it all go quite <laughs> literally. Right. Um, yeah, I think actually those early days when I was flying around the world in Colombia and stuff, you know, it was it was amazing. But I was in my twenties and I was lost and I was a perfectionist. You know, as an academic, good middle-class girl who was kind of brought you know who all of my self-esteem was based on being right and being good and you know and and I want to also you know the kind of feminist inside me wanted to earn well and earn more than my boyfriend or husband forever and you know do all these things I really enjoyed it but um I wasn't feeling an awful lot it was more about the story than the reality underneath the story or the complex story or the confusing story or the vulnerable story um, and actually so you know I realised that writing was what I'd always wanted to do but it connected me to when I was a child and I think it took me so long to write this book because I had to figure out what I really wanted to say and I, but I had to have the courage to say it and you know that um, yeah it was it was much more uh, emotional and rather than technical you know I was like oh no I, oh, no, I can write nice words I can write sound bites I can do you a, a you know 800 word article for a digital publication and whatever you like but actually a long form piece that goes into the dark crevices and through which you actually discover things about yourself and mm. about the world that's that's really terrifying you know it was yeah. hard and, and, and the sort of discussion we had about you know about your your life and uh, you know being this amazing sort of digital inspiring keynote speaker and influencer and this that and the other and that and without giving too much away of the book that is kind of reflected in in the 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 essential struggles of the the central character yes and the the definition of success I think so I think you know a few years ago I was probably a definition of success that was much more recognizable and much more celebrated by the world you know I have my collection of lanyards I had my you know (laughs) my profiles and everything should always give them back yeah yeah exactly you know the two-year-old does quite like them um whereas it was also a questioning about 
you know, as you get a little bit older, you kind of start to realise, well, what do I really want to do? This looks great. It looks great on Instagram. And, you know, I was earning more than I am now. But um, actually, what is success for me? And for me, there's some... Um, you know, I did a, a load of really interesting reading. Matthew Crawford's quite an influence on me and his writings about work um, and craft. And actually, I think for me, committing to finally writing the novel, I, I, I never expected it to be published. It was just my way of refinding meaning in my work. Um, because the joy of writing like that is that you are learning a craft. Every day, you're kind of figuring something out and actually getting a little bit better. And I think it's quite rare to feel that. In You know, you find your niche in corporate life and you tend to kind of you know then get celebrated for it and kind of coast off it for quite a while and there's the safety of it and there's, there's also yes. the, the kind of expectations as you say of, of what success means particularly in this in this digital world where people are you know wanting uh, the expectation is we're all leading these great and perfect and wonderful lives sure. but are they our real lives are they the lives that we should be leading yes and and these are some of the issues you you you, you, you know you peel away that surface layer in the book and get to discussion really of, of, of who we are and why we are the person we are now oh and um, I, yes and I've been fascinated by that because you know I think through you know my 20s I you know I've suffered from depression I've suffered from eating disorders I, you know so I was very aware that on the surface there was this wonder but deep down I was also struggling with not just the psychoanalytical how did I get to this point which is you know that is interesting but also what can I, how much control do I have over who I become um, and that, you know, I've been fascinated by self-help and the limits of self-help for a long time. And, you know, this movement between how much you can control, but also how much you need to accept, how much you can push, but also how much you need to kind of go with the flow and surrender. I think those movements in ourselves are everything, really, and learning do, that Do you navigation. think that it's possible to do a, a 90 degree turn or even a 180 degree turn at a single point in your, in your life as a result of something? That, that happens to you I do think there are I do I do think there are moments and and you know the the um the way it works in the book is also the idea that those sometimes you don't even know what those moments were but what they happen what happens is they become magnets they become magnets or lenses through how you see the world so they determine how you accumulate certain types of thoughts and certain types of experiences you know what do you notice as you go through like I think that's more what they it's not necessarily oh you know this happened to me when I was 12 and that determines my life forever for some people of course there are those pivotal moments and for all of us they're there in um in small ways I think but it's more also how they build storylines around them how you get these moments and sometimes those moments don't matter so much as the course they set you on in terms of these deep feelings about who you are that then determine what you notice in life and what opportunities you look for or don't even see or say yes to so you know it's not always about the moment or the memory itself it's about the kind of pearl of experience we create around it that actually becomes who we are you know it's that development over time yeah well now time is a very interesting concept which I'm I'm trying to discuss in, in the book that, I, that I'm writing about communications and, and when we, it's it, one of the ways in which we judge someone who stands on a stage or in a media interview is all the time we're thinking like, where has this person come from you know, mm. what, what, what's their background yeah. um, what right have they got to stand up in front of this audience you know, yeah. what experiences are they bringing yeah. to this moment in time and you can, you can talk about the present what you're doing now, 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 now and that's always interesting from a news perspective you can talk about the, the vision thing the future where yeah. you want us all to go but it's also the, the past the past you know for an individual 
determines their character. Their character determines the, the power with which they can communicate. Yeah. And so I, I'm, I'm very interested in, in these things and how we kind of present our past, you know, whether it's a CV or a LinkedIn profile, you know, whatever yeah. we do, we're sort of presenting a version of our, of our story up till this point in time. Yeah, it's fascinating. I think, um, you know, I, I do find as a woman as well I sometimes feel like I get more questioning as to what is your right to be on this stage right. what is your right to say this I feel like my storytelling has to be slicker and tighter mm. um, and more authoritative whatever that means to justify whereas actually I feel incredibly inarticulate about talking about my past and I feel like you know the mishmash of jobs and experiences that have kind of got me to here um, is a really weird one. So I still feel, you know what, I'm 35 now, and yes, so I suppose now I've got a book published, which is a thing, you know. Yeah. It's, so there's a well, thing that's you can a good, to, that's but a I still have no idea what I am. No, you know, well. it is a stealth credibility, but I'm not sure what any of it adds up to, and I think that can be quite hard when, okay, so you talk about tech and culture, but you know, I can't code. I'm not a, I'm not a real, uh, you know, tech expert um i didn't never study journalism i've never worked you know full-time or otherwise for kind of a what you would think of as you know a good solid broadsheet or whatever it is whether those <laughs> exist anymore um but you know it's, it's quite interesting the sense which i think that's quite common nowadays is that people are hybrids they're we we are we are much blurrier and what that does then for the story of yourself and who you are can be quite interesting i think my main character is a little bit trapped by that to begin with you know she um, or rather before the book starts, before you see, you know, you get hints of who she was before she had this uh, wonderful transformation. She's, um, she feels so influenced by all the social media rhetoric about follow your dreams and be that entrepreneur in your bedroom. Mm. Be that, be that, you know, uh, be that writer, for example. I feel very lucky that essentially I did come back and find a vocation. But some people never have that necessarily from a child to this burning feeling that there's something i think that can be really confusing because we're told you know from disney princess You've got to have this, like one big dream or a yes, collection what, of dreams that define thing. you exactly. and it's, it's not okay just to be be that person who's stable and reliable yeah, and loving oh, like you know the what, like, the boyfriend character in, in the book or indeed like <laughs> emmett from the lego movie i watched the lego movie <laughs> on saturday with um Actually, all the kids had gone to bed. It was right, with my you. sister, <laughs> her, her husband, my husband and my mum. And um, I love... I think this, that story is very profound. And there was an interview with... Um, oh, I should find her name. But an interview in the latest um, issue of Offscreen magazine that very much spoke to this as well about, you know, not always having to be a leader. Mm. The power of... And followers. I mean, you just say it and it has so many awful connotations nowadays. But the power of being someone who... who who gets on with things and works in teams and is a facilitator yeah. and is just part of the whole. And I think yeah, can you imagine an office with thirty leaders? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's kind of what we're to lead everyone else. Yeah. That's what we're kind of all told to be. I know nowadays, and actually, I realise there's real, there's real maturity and craft mm. and learning in being good at the dance instead. Yeah, and just and just sort of understanding the mission and and. I mean, one of the things I want to explore, probably in, in the book after this one that I'm writing, mm. is is, is, is it, talking about leadership and and almost being that we look for. It's not. It's not. It's kind of anti-leaders, you know, mm. that, that we that we need people who are can facilitate the the mission, but not seek to 
for it all to be about them. And actually, we don't want people to stand up and just talk about themselves. We don't yeah. want people to be that, you know, macho, powerful character. No. We just want people to help to inspire us about an idea or about a thing or about something that's kind of bigger than them or us or anyone in, in the room. And that's, that's, that's what I, I personally look for. Totally. But it's really hard to... Totally to might. And, and, and that you have to, you know, it's a hackneyed phrase, but you have to be the change you want to see. I think we are a little bit fred up with grandstanding rhetoric and all the kind of, yes, utopian stories of a lot of, you know, uh, start-ups and, you know, they're very... But actually what's really inspiring is leaders who are living the way they say they want to run their business, who are exemplifying that in their lives. And yes, absolutely, we're making efforts to make that visible, for their, you know, employees or their colleagues or their company or whatever it is. But um, I think now, and, and that goes back to our point about the exposure of social media. I think nowadays you have to actually live your values. You have to, that is what gives power. That's when we have kind of icons and we go, wow, they're actually making decisions that sometimes sacrifice certain bits of their life for others or, you know, whatever it might be um, to, to make it real, you know, as opposed to, you know, all the tech leaders creating addictive apps and sending their kids to Montessori schools without any technology and not letting them have smartphones until they're <laughs> 12. And I was like, so you're telling us that this is going to make our kids' lives yeah, better, but yeah. um, you're not really living your story, are I you? I know. Let's talk about story. I mean, the stories and storylines um, are, are fascinating to me, being in this, the journalism storytelling business. I mean, I just wondered what you think makes a, a good story and let's maybe not the story of an individual character but but a good story in in the telling of it i mean what, what do you think the key ingredients are of um i don't know a great novel or a great film or a right. great what are, you know are there any sort of elements that you particularly like to emphasize that's a really good question i think um there's there's this for me there's definitely this counterpart of a kind of real clarity of the heart of it of what you're saying and I know that when I got into the many many snarls I got in over you know the, the many many years I was writing this novel it wasn't because actually that scene didn't work or I didn't know how to quite phrase that sentence or that character was it was because I wasn't 100% clear on what I was saying mm. at that point because the character and the plot and the setting and everything else will kind of fall into place once you know what you're saying I think then you're subconscious or creative creativity or whatever takes over and can easily find those solutions mm. i think it's that really thought through idea of what you're saying on the other side it's also about the um the complexity and the nuance and the attention to to little detail because you know store the, the exhilaration of story is that it makes things make sense mm. of course the reality of life it, it, Often, often doesn't make sense mm. so actually what I love is stories that can capture those two things overall they still give you that absolute satisfaction I'm a sucker mm. for a strong plot with you know go back to the old screenwriting exercises you know that have the classic conflicts and the beats and the changes at the end of scene one and all. Mm. I find all those incredibly useful because I think there's a deep drive and you know research shows that actually our neural structures reflect the mm. pleasure in those switches and those binaries and things but also in the then the craft the kind of surface craft this idea of ellipses and contradictions and you know and little noticings and details that feel as much like truth as mm. the clear drive going through so i think that um yes that combination of a clear drive and really knowing what you want to say but also then the little 
diversions, the little almost contradictions and I suppose almost sometimes unnecessary bits, but that give that yeah. texture of life. I'm so glad you, you've, you've said that. And it's, it's, well, clarity is my number one principle yeah. when I'm coaching or writing or anything else. And, and that's the thing that I try to emphasize. But I, but I also emphasize, and this, this goes to your second point, that it's, it's not just about stripping everything out and having yes. the sort of, you know, something completely um, simple or, yeah. or transparent. It's, it's about have the little details are the things that make it real and make it memorable within story. So yes. you can't have a story without the details. Yes. And yet the storyline itself needs to be as clear as possible. Absolutely. And the other point that, 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 you, that you articulate really well is this, this idea of, yes, clarity. So you look at it and think, wow, that's just beautifully clear and knows exactly where it's going. But also... It is in some way surprising. Oh, surprise. In some way surprising or challenging to the way the way that you thought or felt at the beginning. That, and yeah. that is for me that, that combination <coughs> clarity, surprise, little details, mm. and of course character drawing you through. Yeah. But um, that's what, what makes a a good story. And surprise you know, it's the the, the I think endings are classically tough because it's that whole idea that they've got to be both surprising and inevitable. Yeah. Which sums up. Yeah. that feeling you get when there's an amazing story and you know I think the best moments in life are when we surprise ourselves mm. so that speaks to the joy of surprise and but it takes courage to allow yourself to surprise yourself or to introduce surprise in a story because mm. you're always a bit worried if it won't work yeah, right? yeah, yeah. you know if it won't be surprise it'll just be like failure yeah, yeah, or yeah, disappointment yeah, yeah, yeah. but um yeah surprise is fun as a as a storyteller though as yeah. well surprise is the the manipulative megalomaniac bit where yeah. you get to you know you get to astonish someone and that yeah. is um that's where so much of the fun lies yeah, yeah 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 and so and there were some good good surprises in your book and i, I wonder we're obviously not going to reveal them but i wonder <coughs> um to the extent to which you 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 knew the outcome from the very beginning um or whether this was something that evolved with the writing of the book i mean did, did you have it all well mapped out years ago as to how well there was definitely two phases in the life of this book there was the first phase that phase that lasted about five years where I was writing and writing and then kind of retrospectively planning based on the writing and then writing some more and struggling and just writing my way through it and I think I was growing up I think I was exploring what I wanted to say I think I was finding my oh voice as a writer I mean forgive me um and you know all of that and then I took a summer off because I kept on coming across the same struggles, the same snarls, and then I planned it meticulously all the way through, and then I started again, having written many hundreds of thousands of words and discarded right. them, and this, it was the same book. So you had a very tight structure, you knew exactly From which bit From that point in, I restructured what, it, yeah. every chapter, I knew essentially what beats I was hitting, mm. what... Um, and then I started writing it from scratch and that was the draft that ended up being the final book. So there was this interesting phase of growing and exploring and and not quite knowing where I was going. But I feel like that was necessary mulch. And then I kind of, that was there in the background, but then I had to really clearly structure. And in fact, for the second book now, I've started from scratch really clearly structuring and I think that's a very personal thing I think as a storyteller right. as a writer some storytellers can very instinctively find their line me I love the security of the strong line especially when you have a very complex plot and a complex world I think I need that or I can get a bit lost in my own head mm. but then I can take real pleasure in the texture mm. like we were saying I can take pleasure in playing with the little surprises and the echoes and the foreshadowing yeah 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 so, so there is a, a book too Oh yes, yes. Oh, did I slip that in? Like, yeah. <laughs> you might have mentioned it. And um, 
Is, was that a was that a hard to, to decision to come to, or did you always see this as a, as a no? It was um, it was a it was not an inevitable decision. I think I always like open endings. So you know, with the first book, I didn't want anything neat. I wanted it to end on a sense of possibility and all the things that were starting to happen and could happen next, regardless of whether I wrote another book. And then, quite simply, it was a question about what did I want to write next. Um, and you know, I was a little bit agonised because I thought, you know, oh well, it's kind of a bit more risky because if pe- you know if this book doesn't sell well, then no one's going to buy a sequel. Um, but then I didn't write to get, pub- you know, of course I'm. It's amazing to get published, and I want readers. But um, actually, it went back to if you play that game, I think oh, oh you're dead. It would drive you crazy. Yeah. So I was like, actually, I just need for myself to figure out what happens to these characters. I'm still having so much fun writing it. I spent a long time creating this surprise and this world mm. um, that. I, I, you know, it's still a framework. There's a lot more you can do with it. Exactly, and I think that framework around storytelling and storylines and who we are and how much we can control our characters. I'm still really interested in that and figuring it's it out. It's never going to go away. It's never going to go again. Yeah, so I wanted a bit more juice. So you know, the first book is, and also you know, it reflects my my interests as I grow. So I think the first book was very much about success and self determination mm. and kind of career and selfhood, mm. whereas the second one is the love it's about love and connection how much then when you have more of a sense of who you are and how much you can control that what happens when it starts to meld and collide and squash with someone else's how much can you let someone else's in how does it change you does their story start to become your story what's your own story together how much you know how scary is that how much do you want to protect your own story you know so um, it's very very hard to keep your own storyline intact yeah we're all in we're all in relationships of one kind or another aren't we yeah exactly so um <laughs> great molly look i've really enjoyed this um conversation thank you so much for coming on my podcast um best of luck with uh the success continued success of of, of of this fantastic book with all your your endeavors and your exciting <laughs> portfolio of career and opportunities uh, and, and everything else that life brings thank you very thank much thank you indeed. so much mike it's a pleasure thank you.